Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we will discuss the second half of episode 9 and episode 10 of The Story of Minglan or Zhifo Zhifo, Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter, or else email us at Kathy at ChasingDramas.com if you have any questions. For the first part of the podcast, we will do an episode recap, and then go on to discuss any interesting historical references or explain some Chinese traditions from the Song Dynasty mentioned in the episode. And finally, we'll end with any book differences that we would like to share. Let's get started with the recap. There is so much culture and drama happening in these two episodes I'm excited to discuss today. Oh, and let's just say it was a lot of research that we did for this podcast episode. In the beginning part of episode nine, Kong Momo, she's a maid from the palace, kind of like a governess, arrived to teach the Sheng daughters some important skills befitting of young ladies. Originally, she was only supposed to teach Ming Lan and Ru Lan, but Mo Lan was also able to join the group. The first skill the young ladies learn is how to brew tea, or specifically, Dian Cha. We'll talk about this at the end of the episode as it is quite interesting and an important skill, at least during the Song Dynasty. Both Ru Lan and Mo Lan are complaining to their respective mothers that brewing tea is very difficult. Guess what, though? Wang Dan Yangzi, the wife of the household, is able to brew tea quite easily. She lectures her daughter, Ru Lan, while doing the steps for brewing tea and then voila, it comes out. This is contrasted with Mulan and Lin Xiangyang. Mulan is struggling to brew tea, but Lin Xiangyang does not take part. This really shows the difference between the two mothers. Sure, Wang Danyang has a temper and says a lot of mean things about Lin Xiangyang, but she does set an example to her daughter that yes, I can dian cha. Lin Xiangyang, on the other hand, primarily just belittles her daughter and does not set an example. Originally, I thought perhaps Lin Xiangyang doesn't know how to dian cha or brew tea, and perhaps this is right, but in later episodes, we do see her making it. So I'm not sure if this is a skill she already knew or if it's something her daughter taught her after learning from Kong Momo. Regardless, there is quite a difference between the two mothers and how they uh, teach their daughters. Back to Ru Lan, though, daughter of Wang Danyangzi. She astutely points out to her mother that even though her older sister, Hua Lan, married the son of an earl, she's not doing so well because of her vile mother-in-law. Rather than try to marry a high-class family or nobility, wouldn't it be better to marry a commoner or someone who's lower class and less wealthy? That way, the bride has more power in her family at least her husband's family. Her mother, Wang Danyangzi, will have none of this talk, especially since Mistress Lin and her daughter are aiming for the most eligible bachelors in society. What do you think, listeners? Does Rulan have a point? Would you rather marry high or marry low? What defines a good match? That is the central question for this series. 
Well, the other main thread of these two episodes is the visit by Milan's maternal aunt. She is Milan's mother's sister. Madame Wei acts rather curiously during the meal when she arrives. She refuses any help from the maid, Dan Ju, and even tests the meal for poison with silver and needles, no less. She also adamantly requests to sleep with Minglan that evening. There's obviously something important that she needs to tell Minglan. That evening, with only the two of them, Aunt Wei reveals to Minglan that someone framed the maid Xiaodie all those years ago. Remember her? She was the loyal maid to Minglan and her mother who got dismissed because others found stolen valuables in her room. Minglan was too young at the time and right now she can't figure out who would want to frame a maid. Aunt Wei's only purpose for her trip this time is to warn Minglan that there are those in the Sheng Manor that will plot to harm her. She offers some sage advice. Make sure you don't lose anything, but more importantly, make sure you don't gain anything. You never know, somebody might slip something uh, of value into your rooms. Who could it be? I mean, to me, it was obvious that it was Mistress Lin or Lin Xiaoyang, but Minglan doesn't know that. Also, why else would Lin Xiaoyang want to keep an eye on Aunt Wei? Lin Xiaoyang, upon hearing that Aunt Wei arrived, tries to figure out why she's here. She even asks her headmaid to see if they can get a meal together with Aunt Wei. Minglan calmly rejects the invitation and sees some red flags there. So good for her. Why would Lin Xiaoyang, out of everyone, want to meet Aunt Wei? She normally never cares about anything related to Minglan. What's up with this sudden interest? The rest of the episode for episode 9 is a masterclass from Kong Momo on the art of incest burning, or Fen Xiang. Rulan and Minglan aren't doing so well, and Mulan wastes no time rubbing it into their faces. We'll go into depth on the art of incense burning. There's a lot of tools needed for incense burning, which is actually quite true to history. Let's also listen to the background music for this scene. It is absolutely lovely. The music, of course, is played on the Guzheng. Our intro music is a variation of this. Shout out to the score of this drama and the use of traditional Chinese instruments throughout the show. It has been great. We've seen uh, Guzheng here. We've heard the bamboo flute. And we've heard uh, pipa as well. So maybe moving forward, I'll call out the different instruments that are being used for the music of this drama. In episode 10, we learn about flower arrangements. We see amongst the flowers chosen are orchids, peonies, and tea flowers. I'm not an expert on flowers, so please let us know if you see other types of flowers uh, displayed in the show. Tensions have been bubbling up between Mulan and Rulan for a while now, and they finally come to a breaking point during this class. Mulan keeps trying to hog Kong Woma's attention, peppering her with questions and refusing to allow Rulan to talk. I will give Rulan some credit. She doesn't blow up in front of Kong Woma. She just waits two minutes after Kong Woma leaves before blowing up at Mulan. Minglan's over there also annoyed. Kong Momo, though, doesn't actually leave, but quietly watches the scene unfold. Rulan is pissed at Mulan for hogging all of Kong Momo's time. 
She pointedly asks, why are you so eager to learn these aristocratic skills when you should be focusing on learning some more feminine arts, such as embroidery? Mulan, being Mulan, brings up about how she does not want to let their father down. He'll test her later. I must learn these skills. Rulan does a massive eye roll, and I did too. Milan is on the side eyeing her maid Xiaotao with a face of, get me out of here. She's like, danger, danger, I need to leave. <laughs> After some more bickering between Rulan and Mulan, Mulan starts, guess what, crying again. She starts sniveling and says, I'm just born from a mistress. I'm extraneous. No one loves me and I'll just go and die. Rulan here is absolutely hilarious. I guess she learned these from her mom and retorts, exasperated, how are you crying again? You sound like your mother died. What are you plotting this time? You must be crying so that everyone will believe that I'm bullying you. I mean, that is exactly what Molan is doing. Cue Molan to start crying even louder. Honey, Rulan, if you know this is Molan's tactic, stop falling for it. Do something to retaliate. You're so like your mother. Is there any reason why... Both you and your mother always are on the receiving end of Sheng Hong's anger. Yeah, because Mulan's over there crying and getting, uh, gaining sympathy and you're over there literally shouting. So come on, learn from your sister. Ming Lan tries to ease the tensions, but fails spectacularly. Honey, you've got a lot to learn too, especially how to handle your dear sisters. Mulan then does a pretty lame attempt to commit suicide. Minglan rushes to stop her, but Rulan just stays there, and she is so over this. And honestly, so am I. Well, what happens? All three ladies, once again, are punished to transcribing texts. Grandma Sheng hears the news but doesn't act. She's confident that her good friend Kong Momo will bring justice to this whole fiasco, and indeed, Kong Momo does. It's late at night. And Komuomo has requested the presence of the master of the household. This is a fantastic scene because Komuomo is here clearly to lay out all the problems in the family, not just from the daughters, but from the parents as well. Sheng Hong, Wang Da Niangzi, and Lin Xiaoyang all arrive. After Komuomo gives a brief background on what happened, Sheng Hong immediately tells the daughters to kneel. Interestingly, Kong Momo already prepared cushions for the ladies to kneel on. Sheng Hong wants the daughters to face more punishment, but Kong Momo steps in to directly ask the ladies, do they even know what mistakes they made? And she takes this opportunity to call out each person's problem. Starting with Mo Lan, Kong Momo knows full well that Mo Lan hogs all of her time during class and says that she should not think that everyone is dumb just because she, Mulan, has some smarts. And immediately, Kong Momo points out Mulan's two faults. One, she always talks about being born Shu Chu or the daughter of a concubine. And two, she thinks only that if she learns skills, she will bring honor to her family. In this scene, all I can say is, yes, you go, Komomo. Call out Mulan and her facade and for the manipulative person that she is. Komomo came from the palace. 
Imagine if Jin Xi, Jin Huan's head maid from Empresses in the Palace, came over and saw this little act. She probably would be smirking at how quickly Mulan would have died in the palace. Mulan's behavior fools no one. Well, only her father, but every other woman in this household can see straight through her. Mulan tries to say that she didn't do any of this, but Kong Momo doesn't allow her to refute what she has done and has said. Kong Momo then turns to advise Sheng Hong and tells him bluntly that he should treat all of his daughters equally in order to have peace in the family. Kong Momo next turns to Rulan. Rulan's main fault here is that in bickering with her sister, she says a lot of pretty harsh things. She needs to learn how to change her temper in the future. What's interesting to me is that in this scene, Rulan actually apologizes and says that she won't say such harsh things in the future. This is quite unlike Mulan, who does not own up to her mistakes. And again, you can see that there are differences between Mulan and Rulan. As for Minglan, she hasn't made any mistakes, but the lesson here is that the honor of the Sheng family is as a family unit. Any mistake by a member of the family will impact the entire family. Therefore, she must also endure punishment. But before this punishment can be enacted, Lin Xiaoyang steps in. And this is my favorite part of the entire episode because she just gets completely shredded by Kong Womo. Lin Xiangyang gets up and sweetly says that she knows it's not her place to say anything, but since the troubles all originated from Mualan, why not let Mualan also take Minglan's punishment? When Kong Momo says that this is not the way to teach the ladies, Lin Xiangyang then kneels and says that since she hasn't taught her daughter well, she also requests to be punished. Look at the differences in reactions between the master and madam of the house. Xiao Hong is like, oh my gosh, what a lovely woman. Look at the compassion she has. How can we punish her? Wang Danyangzi over there is like rolling her eyes and huffs, this thing again? Is there anything new? <laughs> you can see Kong Momo also wanting to roll her eyes at this. Kong Momo was also waiting exactly for Lin Xiaoyang to say something like this because Kong Momo needs to catch Lin Xiaoyang red-handed before exposing her uh, ways to Sheng Hong. This scene is so satisfying because Kong Momo absolutely destroys Lin Xiaoyang. In a way that Wang Danyangzi can only dream of. Kong Momo begins to say that a person's value is in self-awareness, but there are two things Lin Xiaoyang does not know. One, speaking out of turn. She is a concubine, but she dares to talk while the master and madam of the house are there. And two, Lin Xiaoyang constantly says that she knows what she's doing is out of line with propriety and custom, but she continues to act and behave as she does. Lin Xiaoyang says she knows she shouldn't speak, but continues to speak. She says she doesn't know much etiquette, but tries to butt in on her daughter's education. Lin Xiaoyang here is humiliated by this and is scolded by Sheng Hong to leave. 
And I'm here just like, yes, como mo. Tell her to her face for what she is. You go, girl. Sheng Hong, for once, sees how inappropriate Lin Xiaoniang's behavior has been and does not protect her. This is probably also the first time that he has been humiliated by somebody else for how he runs his family. You can see that Wang Zanyang is like, yes, finally, someone sees through this concubine's facade. Well, anyways, the episode ends with the daughters getting punished. Sheng Hong actually goes to see Minglan and tries to console her. He recognizes that he needs to treat his daughters fairly after hearing Komomo's words. But he is pulled away because Wang Danyang is beating Lin Xiaoyang. Not out of character for her, but I do wish that Wang Danyang also learns to calm her temper. Sheng Hong, after like 15 minutes of distancing himself from Lin Xiaoyang, eh, falls back into her arms. Wang Danyangzi, did you not learn anything just now? Grandma Sheng looks after Minglan, but Minglan is totally in awe of Kong Momo. She thinks Kong Momo is so prudent at knowing exactly how to handle the mess within the family and how to resolve things. I think Minglan is now like a fan or a fan of Kong Momo. And that was the end of episode 10. Quite a lot to recap, but now let's get to the art and culture described in these two episodes, which is even more fun. Song Dynasty, there are four arts of life, or they're called Si Da Ya Shi. Number one is tea brewing or dou cha. Number two is flower arranging or cha hua. Number three is painting appreciation or gua hua. And number four is incense burning or pin xiang. These are viewed as favorite pastimes during the Song Dynasty. We've seen several scenes already in the drama showcasing three of the four, tea brewing, flower arranging, and incense burning. But in these two episodes, we have Kong Momo here to teach the ladies these arts. Let's explain this a little bit more. First up is tea brewing. And the direct translation here is more like dian cha or dou cha, which is not actually the same as what you would think as tea brewing today. It is a twist on um, how they made tea during the, uh, the Song Dynasty. We saw in episode 9, Wang Danyangzi going through quite a few steps to show Rulan that tea brewing or dian cha isn't too difficult as she's over there complaining nonstop. Rulan, that is. What is tea brewing? There are different ways of brewing tea, but in the Song Dynasty, the art of brewing tea is called dian cha or dou cha. It first originated in the Tang Dynasty, but became incredibly popular in the Song Dynasty. At first, this type of tea brewing looks 
very familiar to the uh, Japanese tea ceremony. The powder that is used also looks similar to matcha from Japan we are familiar with today. And it certainly looks to be the case that the Japanese tea ceremony was heavily influenced by this Song Dynasty skill. So how does this work? First up, and it's something we did not see in the show, is actually grinding the tea into powder. You take tuan cha, which are compressed tea medallions, and either pound them or else grind them into fine powder. We actually are not using uh, loose leaf tea at this point. Of note, this is normally not the fine green powder of matcha. I don't think they're actually using green tea here. After the tea is ground into fine powder, it is placed into a sifter so only the finest powder is kept. With that done, the tea is placed to the side. Next up is preparing the tea cup. You first place a certain amount of hot water in the tea cup, which is called a gen, so it's more like a bowl than a cup. You swirl the hot water around to allow for even warmth along the bowl. Then you dump the water out and you clean the top of the bowl so that it is dry. After this, you place a few teaspoons of the tea powder into the bowl or cup and start adding hot water. At first, only enough to be the amount of tea powder in the bowl. Then you take a tea whisk and start whisking. This step is called tiaogao. Whisking starts slowly in a circular motion until the tea texture becomes creamy. Next, you continue to add hot water and then continue to whisk. You see in the drama, Wang Danyangzi adds water several times as she continues to whisk. After starting off slow, the whisking speed increases quite significantly until your final texture of the tea is a beige, creamy, and frothy texture with quite a few bubbles. And that, my friend, is Song Dynasty Dou Cha or Dian Cha. There are lots of articles and YouTube clips around this if anyone wants some recommendations on how all this works. It's certainly very different from tea brewing we're used to today. Like, you know, you just pop in a tea bag or else put in loose leaf tea. Next up is flower arrangements or cha hua. Flower arrangement in China can be traced back to the earliest dynasties in China. From the Zhou dynasty to the Warring States period and so forth, there are rudimentary forms of flower arrangements, such as those made as ornaments. By the Han Dynasty, formal flower arrangements began to take shape. According to historical records, the Emperor Han Huidi had potted flower arrangements placed in his bedchambers. By the time of the Northern and Southern Dynasties, or Nanbei Chao, roughly around the 5th to the 6th century AD, Flower arrangements were primarily placed as offerings for Buddhist temples. To maintain freshness of these flowers, people began experimenting flower arrangements with soil and water. During the Sui and Tang dynasties, flower arrangements continued to grow in popularity. Emperors held imperial gatherings to admire flower arrangements, and flower arrangements also began to become more formalized. For example, Mudan or the peony flower would have its own special arrangement festivals with specific steps, rituals, and customs. Cha Hua reached its zenith in popularity during the Song Dynasty, which is when this story takes place. Flower arrangement wasn't only for entertainment, 
It now came to reflect a person's philosophy, artistry, and temperament. Elegance was favored over the opulence from the previous dynasties, and the Song people favored pine, cypress, bamboo, orchids, and osmanthus flowers for their flower arrangements, amongst many others. This activity wasn't reserved only for the upper class or only for women. All people during the Song dynasty participated in flower arrangements, and there are many records and paintings dating back to this time period depicting tranquil scenes where flower arrangements are clearly visible. Flower arrangements continued its popularity during the Yuan and Ming dynasties, but declined in popularity during the Qing dynasty. For flower arrangements, the focus was always on balance. They should look like a poem, natural and serene. As stated in the drama, the arrangements should avoid parallels and clashes of color. And finally for today, let's talk about incense burning, or fenxiang, or pinxiang. The history of incense burning dates back to time immemorial in China. At first, the burning of certain woods was used to ward off different bugs. Over time, incense burning became associated with ancient Chinese religions and ceremonial rites. Incense and incense burning were used for various rituals, ranging from formal occasions for the emperor and the aristocracy to praying to ancestors and deities for the commoners. By the time of the Han Dynasty, there were many different types of censers, and the first use of xianglu was developed during this time. Xianglu are the smaller censers that can be used indoors or as we see in the show. Previous to this, the censers would be huge tripods or basins used for formal rituals and used to pray to the gods. With the introduction of Buddhism in China and the rise of popularity of Taoism, the practice of incense burning also became more and more widespread. Over the centuries, incense burning transformed into an art form and developed into what we see in the show. Throughout the show, We've constantly seen Grandma Sheng preparing for the various stages of incense burning, and her son, Master Sheng, or Sheng Hong, has helped as well. Both men and women learned this art and, as mentioned before, was meant to reflect a person's disposition as an art form. There are usually four major steps for incense burning. The first step includes preparing the charcoal. On a small flame, Burn the wood charcoal until it is bright red and the wood is no longer emitting any flames or smoke. Step number two, preparing the ash. Place the ash or xianghui into the sensor and mix the ash. This is where you see the ladies mixing using chopstick-like tools. Number three, placing the charcoal. Once you have mixed the ash, using a utensil, create a small hole in the middle of the bowl. The size of the hole should be just enough for you to place your charcoal in the hole. Cover the hole and use the various utensils to pat down the ash and brush away any leftover ash. Once done, poke a small hole at the top of the ash directly down to the charcoal. And number four, placing the incense. Over the hole, place a small silver leaf or gold leaf to separate the fire. Then on top, place the incense that will be used. 
Common ingredients as incense include tanxiang or sandalwood or chenxiang or agarwood. In episode 9, Rulan forgets this step and just places the incense into the hole, which is why there is so much smoke. If you decide to do this at home, don't forget that separator. Incense was actually quite commonly used in daily life. It was brought out when there were guests at the house, or for example, if you wanted to uh, perform um, a piece on any instrument, or if you just wanted to read a book. It was used to calm the mind. Just as we light candles nowadays, people in China lit incense. In current Chinese culture, incense burning still occurs. In my personal experience, you can find them at various temples and pray to various deities. The art of incense burning has lost popularity, but thanks to dramas and shows such as this one, interest in this art form has risen. You can actually buy similar sets in China, and I watched a video that shows how to uh, perform this ritual. It's quite fascinating. Ooh, that was certainly a doozy. Are we all, you know, cultured up? Cultured up and think that we can be uh, sophisticated women of the Song Dynasty? Probably not, but still very interesting to learn about. Uh, now I do want to talk about some of the differences from the book that we have seen in these two episodes. A reminder that uh, this was first a book. And what happened in the, the book was that Ming Lan was actually a modern day woman that uh, went back in time. Beyond that, in the book, the main purpose for Kong Wonga's arrival at the Sheng family was not to teach these three young women, but actually to teach Hua Lan for her marriage to the Yuan family. We mentioned this a bit in the last podcast episode, but uh, Sheng Hong and his family are only bureaucrats, not nobility. And as such, Grandma Sheng wanted her granddaughter Hua Lan to be prepared for her marriage into the aristocracy. And something that we've heard time and again in this episode, um, in episode 10 at least, is that these types of skills are more for the aristocracy, not for bureaucrats. The three younger sisters were there just to learn what they can. But again, the focus was for Hua Lan. Kong Momo also arrived at the family before Master Zhuang, the scholar who has been teaching the children in the Sheng family. Because the eldest sister Hua Lan was still living at home at the time, many of the lines spoken by Ming Lan about Kong Momo were actually spoken by Hua Lan. And as a reminder to her mother, Wang Danyangzi, on how to deal with Lin Xiangyang. I now want to turn our attention into one character that I would like to discuss, specifically the master of the family, Sheng Hong. In the drama, at least to me, he is portrayed as a bumbling man who overtly favors his mistress Lin Xiaoyang and her children over his wife Wang Danyangzi. To me, the drama portrays Sheng Hong as a man who can't discern propriety and tradition over the whims of his um, <clears throat> love. In the past 10 episodes, we have seen many scenes where Sheng Hong openly disrespects his wife in favor of Lin Xiaoyang. Of course, this is all within the Sheng family manner. In the book, 
Sheng Hong, of course, still favors his concubine, but he's often referred to as a cautious and calculating man. He has a lust for power and is constantly plotting for his next promotion and how to build the reputation of his family. The drama, in my mind, really diminishes this aspect of Sheng Hong's character, and to me has reduced him to be an average bureaucrat dealing with trivial matters of home, which are of his making, and he doesn't really change. The difference is on display in episode 10. When Kong Momo rebukes Lin Xiaoniang, the whole point of her words were actually directed towards Sheng Hong. Kong Momo criticizes Lin Xiaoniang for speaking out of turn. But who indulged her to do so? Why is that Lin Xiaoniang is able to speak out of turn in front of outside guests such as Kong Momo? It is, of course, Sheng Hong who has indulged and favored her over the years for her to be able to do so or think that she can do so. In the book, Sheng Hong immediately understands that it was Lin Xiaoniang's behavior and her methods of child-rearing that brought about Molan's actions, and feels, surprisingly, a sense of disgust towards Lin Xiaoniang. I think in the drama, he just is more embarrassed than uh, disgusted. He slightly owns up to his own behavior internally of how he has handled family matters, and also scolds Lin Xiaoniang. What is different from the drama is exactly how Sheng Hong reacts to these events. In the book, he feels actually a sense of remorse to Minglan and tries to make up for it in small but subtle ways. This is not the case in the drama. Sure, he does try to console her, but immediately rushes back to Lin Xiaoyang. Sheng Hong in the book also becomes more distant to Lin Xiaoyang than shown in the drama. For Sheng Hong, or book Sheng Hong, his career and reputation are the most important things. He needs his sons and daughters to be on the quote-unquote righteous path and will not allow the lowly schemes from a concubine to mess up with his plans. Book Sheng Hong is way more calculating, and I get how he became the official that he is. In this drama, not so much. We don't really see his growth here. Um, and I wish they showed a little bit of that in this drama. And that is it for our podcast discussion of episode 9 and 10 of or The Story of Minglan. Let us know if you have any questions or comments. You know where to reach us. Uh, thank you so much for listening and we will catch you in the next episode.